scripture reading for today comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 43 through 48. Uh, Hear now the word of God. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Amen. So today I actually want to start off my sermon uh, a little bit differently. Uh, typically, as many of you know, I usually start with some sort of introduction about what I'm going to be uh, talking about. But today, what I want to do is I want to start with a short slideshow. Okay, it's only about three or four slides long. Uh, but I wanted to show you these pictures because I think they're really great at capturing the point that I'm, I'm, I'm trying to make today. Uh, the images of the images themselves are actually from the 1940s, so they're all black and white, and you know they're a little bit faded. Uh, but as you look at them, you're going to notice that they're pretty evocative, right? They're going to bring a smile to your face, be, a smile to your face, because there's just a lot of joy captured in these pictures. In fact, some of you, as you look at these, you're going to be reminded of the sound of music. Okay, that, that, that's, that's the kind of feel that these pictures have. Now, Sound of Music isn't my cup of tea, but I, I, it's the best reference I can find in terms of describing what these pictures are like. So let me, let me just show them to you. Okay, this first one is a group of European women, clearly, right? Uh, if you're wondering what they're doing in the picture, uh, because I don't think it's entirely clear just by looking at it. Uh, so just prior to taking the, the picture, what they did was they gave each of these women a bowl containing fresh blueberries for them to eat, okay? And so that's what those little bowls are uh, that they're holding in their hands. Uh, and if you notice, the bowls are empty, okay? And that's because they had obviously finished eating them. Now, if you look at, a little bit, if you look at the picture a little bit more closely, what you'll also notice is that some of the ladies are holding their bowls upside down and they're, they're feigning tears, okay? So, so they're acting like, they're all sad because uh, they don't have any more blueberries. So this picture at the end of the day is just a fun picture, right, uh, of a bunch of people just having a good time. And they're sitting on a fence, they're smiling, uh, they just ate some great food, and it looks like they don't have a care in the world. This next picture I want to show you is along the same vein. Okay, it looks like they just finished uh, a sing-along or something. Notice there's a guy on the right holding an accordion. Uh, some of the ladies are, are clearly laughing. Uh, it even looks like there's, there's some flirting going on in the picture. Uh, so this, this is just another picture of people having a great time. This third picture, it's a little bit different. Okay? It's, it's more of a candid shot. right? There's, there's a, a small crowd of people. They're all looking at something that just happened off camera to the left. Uh, and and whatever, uh, whatever it was, it must have been really amusing because uh, pretty much everyone in the picture is laughing, right? And a good number of them are even bent over laughing, okay? So clearly, everyone is delighted by whatever it was that happened off camera. And, and it's just a fun picture to look at, right? It, it, br it brings a smile to your face when you see it. Now, I'm not sure if you noticed this in the picture. Uh, it's actually a detail that's pretty easy to miss because there's just a lot, a lot of stuff going on in the image. But if you look all the way 
up at the top of the picture, slightly uh, to the left of center, what do you see? You see a little flag there hanging from one of the houses. What's on that flag? It, it's a swastika. Let me zoom in so you guys can see it more clearly. These images that I just showed you, they're actually, they're all actually from Nazi Germany during World War II. In fact, the first two pictures, the one with the blueberry bowls and, and the sing-along one, those two pictures are actually of the Nazi support staff for the concentration camps that were in Auschwitz. And from what I remember, these pictures were taken when the gas chambers in those concentration camps were operating at full capacity. This final picture I want to show you is of a couple of German soldiers just showing some woman how to operate a pistol. Okay? And again, they all look like they're having the time of their lives. Now, how many of you feel sick to the stomach right now? You know, when I first saw those pictures uh, and I learned what they were, I had a lot of thoughts. Uh, and most of them were just variations of, are you kidding me? A sing-along? Blueberries? You're sad about blueberries while you're systematically murdering millions of people? Just, just the revulsion that I felt when I looked at these pictures, it's, it's hard to think of another time I felt like that before. Now, there's a lot that I can unpack for us uh, here. You know, in some ways, I think today, we're, we're actually guilty of a similar kind of callousness when we ignore the suffering around us, okay? But that's, that's a sermon for another day. Today, what I want to highlight is another thought, okay? But it's one that I think is probably just as disturbing. So after feeling that initial wave of revulsion when I looked at these pictures, there was something else I noticed about the pictures, okay? And when I thought about it, it really sobered me up. See, as I looked at these pictures, even though they were Nazis, what struck me was just how familiar these pictures felt. You know, joking around with people, being silly, having a good laugh with people you like. I've done all of that before. These emotions that were captured in these pictures, you know, the sense of contentment of just being with people that you like and having a good time, all of that was very familiar to me. And then it hit me. Nazis had friends. You realize that, right? Nazis had people in their lives that they considered to be good friends. Now, what's the point I'm trying to make? Just like you and me, Nazis loved their friends. They greeted them in the street. They joked and laughed with them, as you can see from the pictures. When sad things happened, they cried with one another. They even probably babysat for one another. They even took selfies together. But loving their friends, as loving as they felt in doing that, loving their friends did not make them good or moral. Brothers and sisters, how you treat your friends and how you treat people that you like, that's not what makes you a good person. It's really not. The true test of your goodness is how you treat your enemies. Jesus says in today's text, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? 
Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Brothers and sisters, loving your friends, loving people that you like, we all do that, and we feel good about it. But the fact of the matter is, even Nazis do that. The real question is, how do you treat those you consider to be your enemies? How many of you have heard of a person named Daryl Davis? So in earlier in this pandemic that we're still in, uh, during all the racial protests that were happening, remember early in the pandemic, uh, during that time I was reading pretty much anything I can get my hands on regarding the history of racism in our country. Uh, and I remember as I was surfing the web looking for articles to read, there was this one headline that caught my eye, uh, and, it and it said something like, Black man befriends KKK, or something along those lines. And to be completely honest, when I saw that headline, the first thought that went through my mind was, that's a little too much. I mean, befriending the KKK, okay? And in my mind, I imagined that guy being some kind of weird activist who wasn't all there, right? So, so I didn't read the article. I, I, just, I just skipped over it. Uh, but recently, for some reason, I decided, you know what? Maybe I should read what that guy has to say. So I did some research, and I found that the guy is actually a black R&B jazz pianist named Daryl Davis. And he's legit. Like, he's played with people like Chuck Berry, Jerry Lee Lewis, B.B. King, right? Well, like any black man in the United States, racism was a regular experience for him. But instead of retaliating, what he did was he decided at one point in his life to get to know his enemy. Okay, and so what he did was he started attending, he actually started attending KKK rallies and holding conversations with members of the Klan. Well, sometime in the 90s, as he was doing this, he asked his secretary, uh, who usually booked his gigs, he asked her to set up an interview with a nan man named Roger Kelly, who was the Grand Dragon of the KKK in Maryland at the time. Grand Dragon is the highest level leader in any given state. Uh, and Daryl was very clear to his secretary that she was not to reveal that he was black. So she set up the interview. Uh, they go to the hotel where they're supposed to meet. Uh, and as they're waiting in the room, in walks Roger Kelly from the KKK and his bodyguard, who's carrying a gun. Uh, and when they walked in, they were shocked because Daryl was black, which is not what they were expecting. So Daryl uh, graciously offers his hand, uh, and surprisingly, Roger Kelly took it. Uh, and then everyone sat down, and they started talking. Now, Daryl's goal in this interview was actually not to argue with Roger Kelly, but simply to get to know him. Okay? All he wanted to do during that conversation was to get to know his enemy, to understand him, to try to learn why they felt the way they did and uh, thought the way they did. So they started talking. Uh, but one of the things that Roger Kelly made absolutely clear to Daryl from the beginning was that even though they were having this conversation, Daryl was not his equal. Daryl was inferior to him because he was black. Okay? Roger made sure Daryl was aware of that reality. Now, 
If someone said that to me, that conversation would be over. But Daryl was unfazed, and he continued to dialogue with the man. Now, the conversation was a tense one, but they actually ended up talking for a few hours. Well, after this interview, Daryl continued the relationship, okay? And he started inviting Roger Kelly to his gigs and to his house for dinner, okay? And Roger Kelly would actually come. Well, eventually, Roger started reciprocating. He started inviting Daryl over to his house for meals and also to attend KKK rallies, burning crosses and everything. And all throughout all of that, as they were visiting each other's houses, spending time together, they had long, thoughtful conversations where they got to understand the other person better. Now, Daryl, he never justified or agreed with Roger, okay? But he did really try to understand him, okay? He tried to see why Roger believed what he believed and, and how he came to believe it. And by putting in the effort to try to understand Roger's logic, by, by caring for him despite his beliefs, by showing real love to his enemy, never in a condescending way, but, but genuinely, when Daryl did all of that for Roger, those actions, that love started eroding away at Roger's logic. And eventually, they became friends. Roger, in fact, asked Daryl, to be his daughter's godfather. Over time, Roger Kelly actually ended up rising in the ranks in the KKK. Uh, in fact, he reached the rank of Imperial Wizard. Uh, interesting. Uh, that's actually the highest ranking uh, leader in the KKK at the national level. Uh, but despite all of that, in 1999, Daryl received a call from Roger Kelly. And in that call, Roger apologized to Daryl for all of his past racism. And he told him that he was leaving the Klan. And after that call, Roger Kelly, he made good on his word and he quit. Uh, and he closed his chapter of the KKK. Uh, and then he gave his hood and robe to Daryl, thanking him for the role that he played in his life. Since then, uh, Daryl Davis has befriended over 20 members of the KKK. Uh, and he's actually been given about 45 robes from people who quit the Klan. He's directly responsible for about 40 to 60 people leaving the KKK and indirectly responsible for over 200. Uh, and he says he's never out to convert them, but just to love them, just to understand them and them to understand him. And here's a, here's a picture of him so you can see what Daryl Davis looks like. Daryl also happens to be a Christian. As you can see, his uh, he's a Christian who took seriously the command to love his enemies. Uh, there was this one clan family. Um, the father had been in prison for, for doing something. Uh, and what Daryl did was uh, when the father's daughters came to visit him in prison, Daryl went out to the air airport himself to pick up those daughters so that they can go see their father. Sometime later, uh, one of the members of that family actually shared that no one in the clan loved them or served them as much as Daryl. Now, I want you to think about Daryl's story for a second. Say he met up with Roger Kelly in that hotel room. 
Okay? And during the conversation, instead of doing what he did, he lashed out and called Kelly an ignorant racist prick. And he stormed out of the room and never saw him again. We would look at that and we would say that Daryl is completely justified in doing that. And honestly, on any given day, I would agree with you. If someone is calling you racial slurs and demeaning you and you stood your ground and re you retaliated and called them names back, I probably would not fault you for that. But here's the thing. Had Daryl lashed out, had Daryl responded with hate in return for the hate that he was receiving, Roger Kelly probably would have just upped his game and unloaded even more on Daryl. And at the end of the day, both of them would have left that room with even more ammunition for why they hate the other group of people. Brothers and sisters, this is why Jesus tells us not to hate our enemies, but to love them. Because hate is a reinforcing cycle. When you hate and you act on it, the people on the receiving end of your hate, they're going to hate you in return. Okay? And they're going to retaliate. And that's going to make you hate them even more. And so you're going to return the favor. And on and on it goes. And no one in either group will end up changing their beliefs or their views. In fact, the more you hate a group of people and they respond with hatred back, the more that happens, the more entrenched both groups are going to become in their hatred. And as they go back and forth, they're just going to find more reasons to hate each other. And that's going to erode even further how they view each other. This is why the deeper a group gets into their hatred, the more they begin to see their enemy as subhuman and therefore deserving of retaliation and mistreatment. This cycle of hatred is what is responsible for so much of the devastation you see between people and people groups and nations. So stopping this reinforcing cycle of hate is essential if we want to have peace and healing in our world. You know, the logic of vengeance and retaliation, deep down inside, we love that logic. I mean, when I watch, when I watch Korean dramas where one of the spouses cheats, which is about half the dramas, uh, and at the end of the drama, when the cheating spouse gets what they deserve, I love it. I mean, I live for that moment. That's why I watch those Korean dramas, right? Or movies like Count of Monte Cristo, right? When they get their revenge at the end of the movie, man, does that feel good. But the problem with the logic of vengeance and retaliation, the problem with the logic of hate is that it breeds more hate, okay? And the more you fight hate with hate, the more hate is generated, okay? And this is why Jesus says the citizens of his kingdom are to live by a different logic, the logic of love. It is when we love our enemies that that cycle of hatred is broken. The cycle ends with us. That's what Jesus is saying. Martin Luther King says, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. One of his most famous quotes taken directly from the Bible. Now, some of us, when we look at Daryl's story about how he befriended members of the KKK, we're like, but that's just too much. Right? That, uh, that's too extreme. The KKK, 
But see, brothers and sisters, that's exactly the kind of love to which God has called us. In verse 47 of today's text, Jesus says, what are you doing more than others? What he's saying is, as his followers, as citizens of the kingdom, we are not called to live like the rest of the world. No, we are called to outpace the rest of the world, to go above and beyond the rest of the world. And if there's one place where Christians are to be the most extreme, it's in the area of love. To combat the extremes of hate will require the extremes of love. And when I say the extremes of love, I'm not necessarily talking about these amazing feats of sacrificial love. What you're going to find is that when people hate you and they hurt you, just sitting at the same table as them and listening to them is going to feel like an extreme act of love. Doing even just that is going to require an incredible amount of pride swallowing and self-control. I mean, when I pray for people who've hurt me uh, or people I don't like or, or even hate, because Jesus tells me I'm supposed to pray for my enemies, even just doing that requires so much willpower on my part. I'm like, God, please bless them, but not too much, right? That's how I pray those prayers. Okay, and, and this point about willpower is actually very important. It's actually a very important point. Jesus is not telling us to just feel good feelings about our enemies. Most likely, we're probably not going to feel good feelings for them. Jesus isn't talking about feelings. He's telling us to love our enemies concretely through our actions. He's telling us to use our will to go against every fiber of our flesh and to serve and pray for our enemies. Eventually, as you do that and you see, see them, really see them and humanize them, you may come to feel love for them, like Daryl did with Roger. But that won't always happen. But here's the thing. Even if the feelings don't come, Jesus is saying, we are still to love. Regardless of the outcome, even if they remain enemies and continue to persecute us, we are to love. Now, how do we do that? So there's a place at the end of the Gospel of Luke where Jesus is being crucified. Uh, and despite the horrific pain and suffering he's undergoing, incredibly, Jesus is praying for his enemies. Okay, the very people who are crucifying him, he was begging the Father to forgive them. John Stott, I love how he says it. He says, Jesus seems to have prayed for his tormentors, actually, while the iron spikes were being driven through his hands and feet. Indeed, the imperfect tense suggests that he kept praying, kept repeating his entreaty, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 5 that while we were God's enemies, that's a direct quote, Quote, okay, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. Now, I know a lot of us would not describe ourselves as having been an enemy of God. Okay? But the truth of the matter is, our sins are why those spikes were driven through his wrists. Some Christian writers even say it's as if we ourselves took the hammer and drove, drove those nails into Jesus. 
Now, as much as that sounds like over-sentimentality, look, in my life, when I reflect on my sin and I think about how he died so I could have life, I realize that my sin bears real responsibility for his suffering and his death. Sin is rebellion against our good God, and my rebellion is why he had to die. I was an enemy of God, but rather than show me judgment, he showed me love. To the degree we can really get that through our thick skulls and our hardened hearts, to that degree will we find power to love our enemies as we have been loved. Now, a lot of us, we say we don't have enemies. I don't have enemies, right? but you do. We all do. Think about the people that you hate. Okay? And there are degrees to hatred. There's dislike, and then there's detest, and all the hatred in between. Okay? Here's the thing. Anybody you hate at all, Jesus is calling us to love. So, people on the opposing political party, which is really irrelevant right now, or people with a different ideology. Maybe it's someone in church or someone of a different race, or maybe it's even your spouse. In those relationships, are we fighting them with name-calling and hatred, or are we loving them as Christ loved us? You know, I, I, you know, I'm on Facebook sometimes, uh, and I see how liberals are interacting with conservatives and conservatives interacting with liberals, and just the names that they're calling each other, they're terrible, right? No wonder people aren't listening to one another. Look, I'm not saying there is, isn't a place for debate and protest. I'm not saying there isn't a place for legislation and justice and even outrage, okay? There are structural realities that need to be addressed, okay? And I'm not saying that we just allow ourselves to be trampled on. You know, Daryl Davis, he didn't just let the KKK walk all over him. No, he stood his ground, but he did it while he listened to them and served them and showed them care and respect, even though they didn't deserve it and forgave them. Okay? And sometimes he himself changed his own views, especially uh, when it came to the caricatures that he had of them. But he never let his agency be taken from him. In fact, his deliberate act of loving them was him exercising his agency. And that's Jesus' teaching in today's text. Notice the act of loving our enemies is one that Jesus is calling us to do. He's telling us it is to be a deliberate act of our will. It is a deliberate exercise of our agency. Jesus says in John chapter 10 that no one takes his life from him. He lays it down of his own accord. Okay, It's an act of his agency. Now, yes, in the end, Jesus does let the world trample on him, okay? But it was a deliberate act of his will to let that happen. And so sometimes Christians are called to be doormats, but that act is always a willful choice of love on our part. Now, one important qualifier. The reality is human relationships and loving our enemies, it's not always so black and white. Relationships and situations are complex. For example, in cases of child abuse or spousal abuse or any kind of abuse, loving the enemy is not just letting them continue their abuse, 
best I can tell, Jesus defended and stood up for those who had no power, who were being marginalized and abused by society. Enabling abusers is not what we are called to do. Okay? That is not love. Abusers need to be stopped and held accountable. But in holding them accountable, we also need to desire their healing and reform. We need to understand they are still fundamentally human. Okay? And the way to get at their heart and help them to change is by loving them as we hold them accountable. I mean, honestly, when I hear about abusers, my gut reaction is I just want them to suffer. But when I think about it, I realize God doesn't want them just to suffer. He wants their redemption. And redemption requires love. Loving our enemies, brothers and sisters, is a simple concept, but it is not simplistic. It requires deep thoughtfulness to live out this command in the complexity that is inherent in human relationships. Okay? And the people of God are people who are called to put in that work to be thoughtful and wise. Now let me close. Uh, truth be told, I still struggle mightily with all of this. But it is a teaching that I personally take seriously. Jesus is pretty strong here. He's very, very clear. And brothers and sisters, you can't just take parts of Jesus' teaching that you like and, and make that apply to you and then the rest kind of reject. If Jesus is your Lord, there are going to be times he's going to say things that contradict you that you're not comfortable with. If you reject that, then he's not your Lord. You're being your own Lord, just picking and choosing what you want. Jesus is your Lord, and you have to take this teaching seriously. You know, I've certainly engaged in my fair share of name-calling on social media, uh, but in the few instances where I have succeeded to love my enemies over the years, I found that when I take the time to listen to people that I disagree with, uh, to remember their humanity, okay, to build friendships despite our disagreements, I've always found that I learn stuff. I learn about them, I learn about myself and my own blinders, I learn about the real human circumstances and motivations for why they believe what they believe. And often I don't agree with them, but I come to understand them. And almost always that leads to a deeper respect for each other. Not always, but most of the time. The last verse uh, of today's text as the praise team comes up, um, Jesus says that, Jesus says for us, in the last verse of today's text, Jesus says for us to be perfect as God our Father is perfect. Okay? The word for perfect here isn't about legalistic perfection. Okay? It's about becoming what we are called to become. That's what it means. Okay? And that is, okay, what are we supposed to become? We're supposed to become the people of God, citizens of His kingdom. Okay? And citizens of the kingdom love their enemies. Okay? The spirit inside of us gives us the power to become concretely what we already are in status. So brothers and sisters, let us walk in step with the spirit. Let us use our will to love our enemies. For citizens of the kingdom of God, the ultimate retaliation is to call down heaven's blessings upon our enemies. That's how we defeat them. And by doing that, we will be bringing more of the kingdom into this world. 
Okay, this time we're going to go into a time of prayer. Uh, I'm going to ask you to respond to the sermon. Uh, some of us need to repent of hating our enemies. Really. Uh, again, whether it's a political group, uh, whether it's these other, you know, people that you just despise. You need to repent because God tells us we are supposed to love them. Okay. Others of us were like, okay, that's true. I need to repent, but I need power to love my enemies. It's hard. Pray for that. And just to be clear, you know, Daryl Davis, he was not some kind of superhuman or super Christian. Okay, a lot of you are like, oh, he's different. This is not for me. He did not have any special training or power. He was just an ordinary person like you and me, but he just took seriously the command of Jesus. So we can do this with the Spirit's help. So let's ask him. And lastly, uh, you know, unfortunately, Christians in our nation have come down with a bad rap. Not all of them. You know, media, you only see a certain slice of it. There's a lot of very faithful Christians out there. But even the small slice is dis disturbing. Uh, and I think we need to ask God to um, help the Christians in our nation to love their enemies or people they perceive to be their enemies. Okay, so let's pray for those things. Repentance power to love our enemies and also that our nation would be better uh, Christians in our nation would be better about loving their enemies as well okay let's pray